Hockey Central at noon on Sportsnet 960. The Fan. Well, that looked a little too familiar. Welcome to Hockey Central at noon, everyone. Peter Klein, Logan Gordon with you today as we react to a frustrating Flames loss last night against the Edmonton Oilers. Plenty of time for your texts at 960-960. We will hear from Kevin Woodley, goaltending expert at the bottom of the hour. But let's break things down with Peter Labardius. Flames Insider, Peter Lubardius, brought to you by the Gemini Group Home Renovations. Your home renovations should be a reflection of who you are. Give your home the Gemini difference. The Gemini Group, now offering Air Miles Reward Miles. Visit GeminiGroup.ca. You got to check. You got to work. You got to check. You got to be in the right place. You got to compete. You got to defend your paint. You got to go to their paint. You got to forecheck. I mean, it's a hard game. It's hard to win in this league. And, uh, you know, when we play hard and we play the right way, we've, we, we're a successful group. And it's uh, about being consistent with that. All right. Well, that sums it up, Lou. Have a great day. And uh, we'll check. Hey, thank you. Is, uh, can <laughs> yeah. we bring in uh, Kevin now? Yeah. Oh, no. Yeah. We're, not, we're not bringing Kevin in now. No. Lots, <laughs> to, lots to dig into today. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Um, And uh, I think that's a great clip to start. Um, It's funny how the Edmonton Oilers won't just give the Flames chances. Those chances have to be worked for. And uh, Edmonton, full marks last night, but not the best start for the Calgary Flames. Let's use one of our great sponsors on the show today. Let's use Roos Chris Steakhouse. The Edmonton Oilers have players on their team, and you know who two of them are. They go into every game looking to be fed, not salad, no, you know, not quinoa, no. They want a big, fat, juicy, sizzling Ruth's Chris steak. And the hard part about last night from a Flames perspective is they got fed. And they got fed the sweet potato casserole and that great banana dessert. Um, and, and really, that's how I see it. So from a hockey standpoint, you knew that the Oilers and their best people were probably not going to be overly pleased with the game on Monday. Can we both arrive there, do you think, my friend? Yes, absolutely agree. So you knew that they were going to ante up. And when you know that elite level players are going to probably ante up, you don't want to feed them early. You could see in the first two or three shifts of the game that not only McDavid and Dreisaitl, but McDavid, Dreisaitl and friends were very dialed in. They had great energy. They had two or three really, really good shifts. And they had the Flames doing what the Flames wanted to do to them. It led to a puck mismanagement and a Connor McDavid to Ryan Nugent Hopkins goal. Uh Uh-oh. We've just fed Connor McDavid because probably didn't come out of the gate the way we wanted to, and we fed one of their best guys. A couple of minutes later, uh uh-oh, 
take an offensive zone penalty that puts the most dangerous power play with the most dangerous or arguably two of. Don't want to forget about the Toronto Maple Leafs. Don't want to forget about the Winnipeg Jets, who the coach has been saying, we don't want to feed the best people. We have to check the best people and do it diligently with purpose, with smarts, and go about our business to check for our chances. Well, the Oilers got fed, and it paved the way for a 2 nothing advantage. So, Peter, while the focus, and for good reason, you know, became how things got away in the third period, and they most certainly did at 3-1, but what did you do even in the third period? Well, you came off uh, what I thought was a really good second period for the most part. You made a key mistake in the second period. Again, you didn't manage the puck, and Dreisaitl makes an incredible one-touch to Cahoon, and it's in the back of your net for 3 nothing. But you get it to 3-1, had several chances to get it to 3-2, and you take two early penalties in the third. And again, you feed their best people to be at their best and not give yourself an opportunity to be at your best. And here is Daryl Sutter's evaluation of the night that was and his answer to what should the takeaway or lesson be that your team learns from this night? The lesson would be in the first period, um, we weren't good enough down low in, in our zone on the first goal. The next goal is a power play goal on a, on a penalty that you don't have to take. And I thought in the second period we got, we were back to where we wanted to go. In fact, we, I thought there was times where we sustained some pressure and 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 uh, played pretty well. And, and so we lost the first period, tied the second. And the bottom line is you got to win the third period. And those two power plays, at the, and again, two power plays at the start of the period make it, Make it a 5-1 game. Make it a 5-1 game. Yep. And at that point, it's over. Like, at that point, uh, that that is it. But I, I think that the, the key for me there, like you said, just the, the puck management and the, the power play, like he said, a penalty you don't need to take, and all of a sudden Edmonton is capitalizing. And that just it, – it's, it's incredibly frustrating to see that after all the, the hard work that's been put in over the last three games, and it just kind of felt like some of the old mistakes popping back up again. Well, two things. It's a process, so you're not going to fix it. You know, you, it's like any bad habit, Peter. You're, you're not going to fix those things in a week. You're not. But the part that I don't want people to miss is, is the message coming out of a game like that really any different than what's been talked about in the past? No. No, you put yourself in a bad spot. You didn't start the right way. You're two goals down. Now you're chasing. You get it back. And then do you manage it properly when it's really on the line? No. No. So has this team the last couple of weeks taken some steps? Yes. 
did some of the absolute old problems rear their ugly head? Yes. It's a process. And, you know, to further dig in, in a sense, is who, who in part is why and, you know, why does the pattern keep happening? But, on the other hand, that's the glass half empty. The glass half full is you do need some time to work on these things, but it's not like they haven't been worked on in the past. Right. And that's, you know, that's my, that's, that's my point. It's, you're not going to be perfect every night. You need to get better. And the great part of the evaluation process is to further understand why it keeps happening and approach it a little different. See if you can get to a better place. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that, that is what the, this whole thing is about. We, we talked about the, the process before, and uh, I wonder if potentially I was spoiled by those three games. And okay, well, everything is anew, and then you see the, the, the old problems creep up, and uh, the, the panic button gets pushed a little bit. But you're right, like you, you're not going to, to solve all of these things in the span of a week. Um, in terms of the goaltender, Jacob Markstrom, Obviously not a, a banner night for him, but he, he was in there the whole way, and that, that caught a lot of people's attention last night. Wasn't that one of the big stories? You know, the great thing about yes. our segment, Peter, is as much as, you know, you and I get to share opinion, I love the fact that, you know, we really get to a lot of the story by, you know, letting the storytellers, the players and the coaches have a chance to tell it. Then I think the neat part of our segment is discussing it and interpreting. A lot of times in our business, don't you think we have to kind of read through the lines a little bit? I, I do. Yes, absolutely. So, yep. So last night, don't have a Jacob Markstrom clip, but trust me, there was nobody leaving that rank more disappointed in himself and his overall game than Jacob Markstrom. That's how you get better. That those are the kind of, that's why I call him a foundation piece. Because when it isn't going well for him, it hurts. And when things hurt us, I believe we're always prone, if we handle them the right way, to do better and get better. So that's the Jacob Markstrom, not the least bit concerned where he is concerned. Now, the next clip comes from the coach and and isn't that the person that we continue even though we have history even though he's been here before aren't we daily i know i am peter i'm fascinated always by learning about people and daryl is someone i respect so much been there done that so really trying to learn more about him so he was asked after the game about leaving Jacob Markstrom in. But I want you to really listen, um, you know, if you'd like, that was too strong, if you'd like, um, to not just how he discusses Jacob, but listen to all of it, as much about Jacob, but from a whole team perspective when it comes to benching. I'm on record for this. Every team I've ever coached, I do not 
pull the goalie. I hate pulling the goalie. It's like benching somebody. I don't believe that. I believe that they stick with their teammates, and I believe that they fight their way out of it just like everybody else. And and I and and it's basically a trust thing because I think he's <laughs> I think he's an awesome goalie, but he has to be able to battle too. And I I just I've never done it, and and it's been very. It's worked very well. I've had great goalies, and this is a good, one, pretty good one too. So, Mr. Klein, because I mm-hmm. love to do this, what's your takeaway, my good man, when you hear that clip? Think about the situation, and what's your read on Daryl and what he believes and what he said? Uh, I think it's very interesting, and uh, I'm with you. Where you, you hear that clip, and he he like it's it is about the goalie, but it's not just about the goalie and what he said. And one thing that I've liked from him so far is that if a player or a line has a bit of a rough night, there isn't a major shakeup. We're not doing the line blender. It is okay. You are back in the same spot, and now is your opportunity to work through this. And I think a lot of times in a number of different sports, really, when a player is struggling, even just for a little bit, there is a temptation to almost overcoach at times and just, okay, well, we need to do this. We need to do this and need to need to maximize everything that these guys can do. When a lot of the time, these guys just need to work through these issues and you need to show that if it's not going 100% your way, you can still battle through to get the most out of it. And I think that's kind of what, what Daryl is saying there with Markstrom, that last night was not his night, but he needs to learn. Not, not that he doesn't know how to, but he needs to learn that it is going to be on him to work through those rough nights, I think. So I'm going to take it and go bigger picture. Okay. So when you're new, when you're new into a team – and you're a leader on the team. I, I think one of the first things that you want to do, maybe two things, are set a standard and make sure that people feel like they can trust you. Because when we feel like we somebody sets a standard and we trust, then I think it gets the buy-in. I really do. So that that's the premise. Then I'm going to use another analogy and use some examples. So we're both big baseball fans, correct? Yes. So some nights with your starting pitcher, who's not having his best night, which could be like a goalie last night, you will sometimes leave that pitcher in instead of pulling him because you're saying I believe in you I believe that you can get through this and there's value in going through that process and in fact when you look at last night as much as it's about the goalie you know it's I thought about it all night and all morning you know coaches really only have one big carrot to play when it comes to a lot of things, and that's in part ice time. But it doesn't always apply in all situations like last night. So, Peter, any game you ever played, did you enjoy playing in the game when the result was 
no longer in question. Uh, I would get a bit too competitive, um, so I, I, I did not enjoy when, when the result w- was not going my way, no. So meaning, if you're on the ice a lot in a 5-1 game that is over, I didn't like playing, you know, I played second base and shortstop. I didn't like being out there at 7 or 8-1 when you knew you had no chance. So... I didn't feel like I was being rewarded. In fact, (laughs) I'm like, I don't want to have this happen again. So, you know, plus it is on you when you're out there in a miserable situation. I can learn about you because I want to see how you handle 5-1. So I'm going to keep throwing you out there. And in fact, as a coach, I'd probably be more prone to throw you out there at 5-1 if you were a big part of why we got to 5-1, if that resonates and makes sense. So it's almost the opposite of what people might think. Now, I'm going to give you one more example. In the Daryl Sutter time with the Calgary Flames, remember back to game one. Remember back to game one. Was there a key member of the Calgary Flames when the game was a one-goal game who didn't play very much five-on-five hockey for the last ten minutes? There was. Yes. Yep. There was. Do you know when players really want to be on the ice? when you can make a difference. You know where messages can, in a sense, really be sent? We didn't come out of that game going, wow, this guy got benched or this line. In fact, it was kind of hard for for us to figure exactly what it was. But when we looked at it, well, okay, technically that's that's not a benching. You know, you you take one guy and you realize at a very critical time that you're not getting your job done. So in this tough situation with the game on the line, I'm not putting you out. And you need to get that. So I think it's, again, I, I, I think... I think it's about empowering. I think it's how you get your message across. And I think that there's more ways to do it. And I think the better you get to know each and every individual, it's, it's not a one-size-fits-all, even though, as a coach, as a leader, the premise is your whole team. And does Daryl Sutter ever really talk? In fact, most coaches that I've ever worked with, they know better than any of us. It's about the team but it's also about reaching individuals and, you know, with this group at the end of the day, isn't it really all about when it changes? It has changed a lot. Are the same players, are they growing? Are the same kind of core people, are they getting better at handling hard? That's what it is for me. Mm Mm-hmm. 
And with just to, to kind of follow up on that, with the, the group that kind of got um, their ice time limited in the last 10 minutes, the thing that I liked was that they started the next game. And that to me was a, listen, we, we did not appreciate what, what was going on in this game. Hopefully you have learned from this and I will now give you an opportunity to show me what you have learned. And I think that is a good way of building trust with your coach as well, where it's like, I, I'm not going to hold a grudge with you if it wasn't up to, to par for a stretch last game. Let, let me show me that you have learned from this. And I, I think that that can be appreciated by players as well. Peter, I, I don't think like everybody does it differently. Everybody looks at how we want to empower people differently. But that's still what you're trying to do in every situation. You want to build trust. You want to build faith. You want to get to know your people individually and turn that into team buy-in, if you will. So you, you also have to recognize, you know, that, yes, the philosophy is absolutely 100% correct, but... But haven't you heard, I mean, you know, even, even with our own friends, I know in my case, I'm a very, as I think you know, direct, intense, lay-it-all-out-there person. What I have to challenge myself to do is one message doesn't work for everybody. And, right. I, and I really think for all of us, that's what it boils down to, is getting to learn about somebody else. But, but you need to have a standard so that when you go toe-to-toe and however you do it, it's pretty clear. Uh, last one with our Flames insider, Peter Labardius, here on Sportsnet 960, The Fan. Um, we haven't had a chance to, to talk about this yet, and I understand that the Flames are obviously the, the main focus, but there is a certain 15-year-old out with the Regina Pats who is getting everyone uh, get, getting everyone's attention. We do a WHL roundtable on Monday with uh, with Brad Curl and Dustin Forbes, and I just sent like, hey, anything you guys want to touch on? And the text was barely sent before, oh, Connor Bedard. Yeah, we, we need to talk about Connor Bedard. I would imagine, uh, obviously not in person, that's not allowed right now, but I've imagined you've been able to keep up with a, a little bit of the hockey stylings of Connor Bedard over the last oh, couple of years. Oh, yeah. Oh, oh yeah. I've uh, One of my great COVID disappointments came in the spring because I had a weekend plan to find a way to see Connor Bedard with my own two eyes last season. As you know, the world didn't allow it, and it's not even really allowing it right now. So um, I've watched him for, I would say, five or six periods. I watched almost a full game of him when he was playing overseas in Sweden and I've seen highlights and I've seen a couple of periods of his games so far this season in the bubble in Regina. One of the first players that I think about when I watch him and think about seeing this player at 15 as a member of a Markham team is Steven Stamkos. Just how he moves, um, 
he shoots it. He can absolutely shoot it. He makes plays. As you know, I need to see him with my own two eyes before I can really assess. But even a couple of scouts that I've talked to in the last year, you know, that would be one place and one player that, you know, might fit the bill a little bit. Here's what I do know. The Western Hockey League in its newest of age has never granted a player exceptional status. This is a first. And they didn't get there without great consternation and chat and dialogue. One thing about Ron Robison and the Board of Governors is, remember, this came up a couple years ago with the young man by the name of Matthew Savoy and a member of the Winnipeg Ice. And they, they just thought size, stature, you know, he ended up playing in a lot of games last year, but he was not granted status because... They just weren't completely sure on a full-time basis, you know, both physically and mentally, that he might be up for the challenge. They, they feel that this young man is. He's off to a great start, terrific skills. Um, one of my best friends, a guy by the name of Kelly Rempel, has watched him a lot this week. We have chatted. Um, he's been completely blown away, just creates, creates, creates. And here's what I do know. It's a really hard league. And yes, might he be having some early success in part, Peter, because teams' team games aren't in order yet, obviously, because of not playing. And and will it get harder for Connor Bedard? And does that type of hockey, I believe, in the early going lead to highly skilled players absolutely but i cannot wait to see this guy with my own two eyes he is special he is special yeah no we we need to get this vaccine rollout thing going because i uh just given early returns i don't know how much more time he's he, he's not spending any extra time in the whl Let, let's put it that way I, once once he's able to take another oh, we'll step see. i think that step will be taken yeah Long way to go, for sure. We'll, we'll, we'll see. The two greatest, I'll leave you with this today, two greatest 15-year-old impacts that I have seen in recent times was Braden Point in his 15-year-old season helping the Moose Jaw Warriors get to the third round of the 2012 Western Hockey League playoffs. Seven goals, three assists, ten points, three game winners, two overtime winners. That was when I truly decided, oh my goodness, this guy is special. The next guy was a gentleman by the name of Dylan Cousins, who came up in his 15-year-old season late to the party, but again for the Hurricanes in a 15-year-old season made a big impact in the playoffs i think for those two guys it's working out okay <laughs> yeah I, I think uh i think it's i think it's going just fine for them it's 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 going the one chapter is pretty awesome that guy is going to play for his country in the next olympics i truly believe uh, has won a stanley cup and is 
great. And I think you talk about the Buffalo Sabres going forward, and again, he's going to have to learn and go through the process. Think about who Canada's best player was at the World Junior. Was it really in question? Not for me. Nope. Nope. Me neither. Uh, me neither. Cousins. Yeah, some pretty good company to be listed with, for sure. Uh, thank you for this, Lou. We will chat tomorrow. Sounds great, Peter. Have a great afternoon. Flames Insider, Peter Lubardius, brought to you by the Gemini Group Home Renovations. Your home renovations should be a reflection of who you are. Give your home the Gemini difference. The Gemini Group, now offering Air Miles Reward Miles. Visit GeminiGroup.ca. Coming up tomorrow, we have Lou's Mailbag. Send in your questions, sportsnet.ca slash 960, and tune in tomorrow at noon to see if yours is answered. If it is, you're walking away with a $100 gift card to Ruth's Chris. Winners will be selected until the end of the regular season. Lou's Mailbag, brought to you by Ruth's Chris Steakhouse. Relax and enjoy while Ruth's Chris makes the experience safe and comfortable for everyone. Book your table today. Go Flames, go. We get caught up in the world of voodoo, a.k.a goaltenders as we hear from kevin woodley coming up next hockey central at noon on sportsnet 960 the fan Continuing here after a uh, Flames loss last night to the Edmonton Oilers, we get ready for Calgary going up against the Toronto Maple Leafs on Friday. Today is Thursday, which means a weekly conversation with Kevin Woodley and Ryan Pinder. Let's hear that chat now. Jacob Markstrom in all four games for the Flames every moment, including uh, no hook last night. That's what we'll start with our first guest here in the nine. Uh, Kevin Woodley of In Goal Magazine and NHL.com, our Thursday 905 regular. Good morning, Kev. How are you? I'm good. I am good. Daryl Sutter postgame last night um, said, I don't believe in pulling goalies. I never have. I've never liked doing it. Uh, If the team's struggling, everyone's got to pull through it together, and that includes the goalie staying out there. A quick thought, maybe less about uh, last night's particular instance and, and more on the general big picture overarching philosophy of uh, the Jolly Rancher regarding pulls. Yeah, it's, uh, I mean, you know, uh, old school is, uh, is a word that describes it. It's ironic. Um, you know, part of the preparation that we've done this week for the expectation of Sean Burke, uh, the goaltending coach um, for the Montreal Canadiens, or the new goaltending coach for the Montreal Canadiens, part of the prep for him sort of joining the Habs on the ice this week was to go over like some older interviews um, that I'd done with him for for the Ingle Radio podcast, sort of you know making sure I was in touch with his philosophy, uh, mostly in terms of style and what that might mean for Carey Price. But interestingly, interestingly, given this question, one of the things he talked about was how a lot of head coaches don't understand the psychology of goaltenders and how things like early pulls or leaving a guy in for an entire game when it's not on him and you can see him sort of beating himself up as it goes on might not be the best way to go and how that was something that frustrated him in the game. So, um, you know, didn't pull or look at those clips with with the idea of, of critiquing that decision last night, but certainly something to keep in mind. I mean, you don't need to let it get to seven to have Jacob Markstrom be hard on himself. Um, you know, I think you've right. probably learned that there in Calgary already. This is a guy whose fire burns sort of hot. 
Um, and he wouldn't have been happy with that performance whether you gave him the third period off or not. I'll be honest, Ryan, I haven't looked at their schedule ahead, and to me that would be the bigger part here is mm-hmm. um, we've already talked about playing the wheels off him early this season. Uh, if, if the schedule is, is busy over the next little while, then leaving him in for that extra period and, and the potential damage done in terms of just the extra workload, never mind the psychology, is – yeah, it's something that you you might need to consider that that might be more important um, than that overarching sort of old school philosophy about, about leaving them to be you know part of the team. I get it, but but uh, sometimes sometimes you need to give them a break from the team on an off night as well. Um, I'll, I'll give you the read of the schedule. They travel today to Toronto. They play Friday and Saturday against the Leafs, so that's a back to back. We'd expect David Riddick there. Uh, they then go to Ottawa, so it'll be off day, game day, off day, game day, off yeah, day, and then back to back against Winnipeg at home. So, so if you're going to go with David Riddick in the first, if you're going to go with David Riddick in the first one in Toronto, fill your boots, leave him in there for all. Um, if you're planning on coming back with him Friday and Riddick on Saturday, then I think it's you could fairly argue that's a mistake. As much as it's only an extra twenty minutes, mm-hmm. um, you can, you know you can at least have that discussion. And I would add um, the, the time to pull might not have been after 40 when the game was 3-1, but early in the third when it became 4-1 and 5-1 really quick. But you know, Right, and, minutes, then, and the other minutes, thing there minutes, is you have to yeah. make sure that, that your backup's prepared in right. the intermission for that possibility because yeah. you know, as much as I can talk about, you know, like I said, it is just 20 minutes. Um, but you know, the one thing you don't want to risk is, is having your backup go in there not ready, not having done a lot of stretching work in the second intermission, not anticipating it, uh, and end up getting him hurt. The the one thing that I, I don't think we would doubt at all is that the Flames are using Markstrom much more than they would have planned in the offseason, than they would have wanted to, and they've just hired a coach who loves riding his uh, workhorse goaltender. Um. We talked about it before he Sutter even arrived. They were overusing him. I believe he started 14 of the first 16 games, which was too much and more than they would have planned. But they also find themselves in a spot where they're three points out of a playoff spot and the team they're chasing is a game in hand. I mean, this is, uh, this is not the tight wire you want to walk because I don't think it allows Markstrom to potentially be at his best if you can get to a playoff spot by mid-May. Yeah, and, and the thing is, you have to now find time in the schedule to allow him to sort of, not that his game's necessarily that far off, but you have to give him that time in the schedule to sort of do some of that extra work. Um, it's not so, like, he's, he's a workhorse, right? Like, he is, he's not going to tell you he's tired. He's not going to, like, it really is on others to be able to make that read and establish that and, and you know, be brave enough to give him a night off because he's never going to tell you that like never right like this is a guy who played through not just fatigue but played through injury at times during during his um his couple years here with the canucks especially the past couple years when he was playing so much so uh it is a it is a delicate tightrope i mean it's one it's one we've talked about for years with the montreal canadians right it's why they went out and got jake allen because they would ride Carey price into the ground uh, and then he'd have nothing to get to the playoffs or try to get to the playoffs, and he'd never have nothing left when they got there. And then when we saw him in the bubble, after a whole bunch of rest, it was one of his best performance of the past couple seasons. So hey, it's easier said than done. It's really easy to sit here and say you got to rest your number one guy, but if you don't have as much confidence 
in your backup, and that's on David Ritter to sort to sort of establish that for him or for them. Then you know, it's it's a lot easier for me to say than it is as a coach to make that decision. And, and I get it early in the season, right? Because he was so good early in the season. But if you can't see the diminishing returns since having ridden him that hard early, then you know, like. You need to be cognizant of that. And, again, real easy to say, a lot harder to sort of act on in the middle of a playoff race. But um, if playing him four straight means you get 60% in the fourth, uh, you might want to make that decision a different way. Fair enough. Uh, let's go to the other side of the goaltending battle last night. Uh, well, no, you know, one more on Markstrom. Um, this is a guy that's thrived on high shot volumes. I guess not unlike a guy we'll talk about later. Um but um, he's now looks like he's going to be playing for a team where if it goes the way Daryl Sutter wants it to go, he's going to end up with 20 to 25 shots more than 30 to 35. Now, it's only four games, but the first three tight defensive efforts from the Flames last night was not that, but that's not a, a, a game that the, the coach wants replicated defensively. How do you expect it to go for Mark in a much, um, I guess, uh, more... So, what would the right word be? It's a lower shot environment than the ones he's been used to behind a bad defensive Vancouver club the last few years and one that was really sloppy under Jeff Ward earlier this year in Calgary. Yeah, and we talked about this in the off season in terms of why I like the fit in, in Calgary compared to Vancouver was because the workload was similar. Like here in Vancouver, there were a lot of tough chances, and they gave up a lot of chances overall. But at the end of the game, when Travis Green used to come out and say, yeah, we gave up you know, 40 shots, but a lot of them were from the outside, he wasn't wrong. They gave up a lot of low-percentage shots here in Vancouver when Jacob Markstrom was at his best. They also gave up a lot of high-percentage shots. Like They were just not great overall defensively. But it was the volume of low-percentage shots that sort of – I'd say allowed him to feel his way into games at times. And so if, if they're all low volume, hey, every goalie is going to take that. But the one thing I never got a chance to see him do here in Vancouver, and there are a couple of games where you could sort of, where they play, like it was pretty rare that they had a night where they didn't give up much. They were just not great. Um, but there were some times where they did, and, and that tended to be where he struggled, where he wasn't busy. And that's a challenge that a lot of goaltenders face. And, you know, frankly, because he played for the Canucks, it's not something he's had to get used to. And it's an adjustment, to be perfectly honest, Ryan, that, like, I'm not saying he can't make it, but I think there were some people around the league that wondered what he'd be like behind a good team, behind a good defense that limited chances, because he is kind of an active goaltender. Um, and, and active goaltenders tend to rely a little bit more on timing and rhythm, and those are the kind of things that are fueled by shots. Like, you feel your way into a game a little bit. And so I'm curious. I don't have the answer. I think that the fact there are some question marks about that makes it let maybe less of a fit if the if the team goes that way under Daryl Sutter successfully uh, in terms of the shot volume compared to what maybe I would have said in the summer when they first signed him out of Vancouver, but that doesn't mean he can't adjust to it. Um, it's it's still, however, worth noting that that there's going to probably be an adjustment required for him. Mm-hmm. Fair enough. Um, Mike Smith's an incredibly polarizing player in this market, and, and rightfully so. He came in and was sensational his first half season. He had an incredibly horrible run the following year over the first half of the season. Uh, he ruined Jerome McGinley retirement night with one of the worst puck plays I've seen in my life, although that's probably uh, an emotional thing more than a logical thing, given the, the magnitude of that night and what the theme was. 
he also was their best player in a playoff series against Colorado where uh, he did turn his game from unwatchable to really solid by the end of the year. There's been a lot of talk about him with the Oilers in town here and him starting both those games and a lot of talk in the broadcast about his playing of the puck. Uh, the argument I've made is that, yes, he's good at playing the puck, but he's over-aggressive, and are we sure that the positives outweigh the negatives when there are other goaltenders that don't make mistakes that lead to four, five, six goals in their own net over the course of a year, but also don't sauce it to the other blue line to have everyone talking about a goalie being a third defenseman. How do you measure puck playing and and do the advanced metrics with people that just look at goalies, how do they value that risk reward? How do you measure a hit saved on a defenseman versus whoops i'm in the trapezoid there's a goal for the other team we lost by one well i think obviously the latter are deflating in the games they happen and so you have to limit them um i think that a lot of us focus on the sauce to the blue line um at times not recognizing how good he is at getting out and getting stops and just leaving it and yes there can be a tendency at times to overdo things and the one that hopped over his stick uh, there the other night left him stranded and left him without defensive help because both his defensemen peeled off as they're supposed to, expecting him once he handles that to make a play with it. Like the last thing you want as a puck handling goaltender is your defenseman coming right back to you. So they did what they were supposed to do. And, it, and the bad hop over his stick, um, hey, if you're going to go play that, you better make sure you stop it. Maybe the, the fact he sort of tried to stop a, a hopping puck with his stick rather than sort of getting behind it a little more is part of the problem there. And maybe he should have just stayed in his net. And there's times where that's a fair argument. I don't have the numbers in front of me anymore, Ryan, and and very few measure this publicly. I don't think anyone, even ClearSight, measures these analytics um, publicly. I think it's more a team-by-team thing. But I can tell you when he was in Calgary that uh, Jordan Sigalette shared some of those numbers with me in terms of their success getting out of their own end based on not just his touches, but what he did with it, whether it was an over, whether it was an up, whether it was a simple leave. And the positive far outweighed the negative, both in terms of um, the defenseman not getting plastered, but more so in terms of a number that a lot of analytics people, like getting out of your own end, like clean exits. They were definitely a net positive. And yet I get it. It's the, you know, I've talked about low percentage goals um, being not just, we know they're deflating for teams, but like your, your team actually loses 87% of the games where your guy gives one up unless the other goalie reciprocates. Like that's the number. So giving up one of those like automatically puts you in a hole that unless the other guy lets in a stinker, you rarely get out of in this league. So I understand why it's so, so polarizing and you want to limit those for sure. Um, the net effect is positive. I'd be honest with you, for me, Mike Smith, and, and he's gotten, as you mentioned, he's gotten on heaters before, right? Like he's capable of, of sustained for say a month or so or 12 games, really good performances. I see something in his game this year that might be more sustainable than the past years in terms of forget playing the puck, stopping the puck. And there's a lot of different little technical ways. Like he's still Mike Smith. He still plays on his goal line. He still lines up on his post when the puck's you know being dropped out for a faceoff in his own end. Uh, he still plays really deep. He still relies on reactions a lot. And sometimes when the goals go in, they don't look great because of that. Um, but in terms of his movement around his crease and his post-save recovery, which might seem like a small part of the game, but it's 
frankly, a, a pretty big one for a goaltender. Like, he's making saves and then pushing to his post in, like, a modern butterfly goaltender recovery manner. Whereas in the past, the tendency, and it's not fair to say this happened all the time, was to make the first save and then reach and end up on his belly. Like, to me, and this is a really crude way of putting it, or oversimplified, but tell me if I'm wrong the last couple of games. Mike, Mike Smith's belly flops per 60 are way down. Big time. Now, still yeah. on breakaways, he'll end up extended and all that stuff. But to me, that's the big change in his game this year. And that's why I see rocking like a 925 right now. I've got him fifth in adjusted goals uh, saved around the league. Like he's having a renaissance season at 38. And it's largely tied to that, which is work he did in the off season to sort of change some biomechanics of movement and, and his body a little bit and the work he's done with the goalie coach. So as much as we focus on the puck handling, I actually think very late in his career, you're seeing a bit of a renaissance in how Mike Smith plays. And I think that is actually sustainable for the Oilers more than any of the hot streaks you saw there in Calgary. And it's weird because it, it was, last year in Edmonton was a bit of everything as well. He had a really good stretch, a miserable December, if I'm correct. Played pretty well down the stretch and then was awful against the Blackhawks in the playoffs where they didn't get a save from either goalie. It's... Uh, he, it feels like a guy where if you know what you're getting from him, it's because you're playing him a lot. You can't be rotating him in every third game or anything like that. That's not going to work. Well, he's talked about that too, and he's talked about how in the past he hasn't, like, he hasn't handled being the backup well. He hasn't handled not being the guy well. Uh, he hasn't accepted it mentally, psychologically, and how that has, is a part of this process. And so that may be true as well. He talked about it just last week. But to me, what I see the difference in terms of his, his actual technique and his style, like it's just, it's not perfect. It never will be, but it's a lot more repeatable. It should be a lot more consistent, and it should prevent at least to a degree a lot of the ups and downs that we saw that you just described because he was so reliant on sort of, like if he didn't make the perfect first save, it was, you know, it was a yard sale often on the second. And now he's actually pushing into the second save and making a lot of things that a lot of goalies make look easy, he used to at times make look difficult. So if he wasn't 100% on, then it got ugly. Now he's making those things look easy too. He's just making his life a lot easier. And, and again, you know, like if we're talking six or seven plays a game where he pushes into a post and he's such a big body, he's got everything sealed up versus flopping out and extending and, and being totally out of a play. And geez, if it doesn't hit my leg, everything else is open. Mm -hmm. um, that's a big difference. That's a really big difference. And watching him play and other people around the league have noted it too. Like it, it sort of jumps out like how much, how much less often he ends up in those prone positions. Tell us about the heater Thatcher Demko's on. It's, uh, it's been a tough year for the Canucks, but he's uh, actually keeping them afloat right now, something they might not deserve to be given how good he's been. Best goalie in the league in March, like hands down, right? Like he's on a roll right now. And the, you know, we talked about this even before March. There were signs this was there. Um, when you looked at the adjusted numbers, like he was actually fine. Like he was top 10 even when they stunk because they were so bad defensively. And so if you looked into those numbers, you're like, man, if they can stabilize the back end a little bit here and get a little more consistent defending it, you know, maybe not give up two on those shorthanded on an almost nightly basis, um, you know, you might have something here. And what you have is a guy who, in terms of goals saved so far this season, is third in the NHL. 
Um, his raw numbers will not be as impressive because, again, they're one of the worst defensive teams in the league. But his adjusted numbers say, you know, not, he's not in the Andre Vasilevsky, Mark andre Fleury conversation for the Vesna, but he is leading the conversation to be third in that voting. Um, and you're right, it's probably masked some deficiencies elsewhere on this team, and there are many, and they are glaring. But they're winning, um, and they may be, despite the games played in balance, are putting themselves back in this conversation to at least be part of a race down the stretch. Now, you know, you don't apologize for having great goaltending. I would argue that, you know, the fact this team has relied on Vezina-type goaltending for the past two seasons to be in these conversations, first from Markstrom and now from Demko, probably tells you something about how the team's constructed. You, you don't have to apologize for getting it, um, but relying on it on a nightly basis is, is, is a different conversation, and that's what they're, it's kind of what they're doing right now. And so um, they got away with it because of him in, in, in Ottawa. In fact, they went to overtime twice against the worst team in the North. Um, you know, again, it's probably a reflection of where this team's at, but they're 6-1 they're and one without their best player in Elias Pettersson, and a lot of that is because their second-best player has been Thatcher Demko. So the, the sad part for Canucks fans is they now have to pay Pettersson and Quinn Hughes and Thatcher Demko as RFAs this offseason. So whatever cap space they hope to get out from under, um, and they have a lot of bad contracts on this team, uh, is going to be eaten up quickly by their goaltender, their top center, and their best defenseman. I don't buy that at all. They should be extending Pearson at all costs. Never mind the kids. <laughs> yeah, they might. <laughs> uh, okay, thank you. Do appreciate it. All the best. Uh, we will tackle Carter Hart. We'll leave it till next week. And it's a curious one because uh, I don't know that anyone's made a transition from junior hockey to the NHL look as easy as he has uh, in recent memory. And then now that we want to call him one of the elites he's had a tough year so we'll we'll give it another week we don't want to after the night he has to come in in relief and a nine nothing loss get into it so let's put that on the docket for next thursday that sounds good to me thanks kev thanks ryan okay there's kevin woodley in goal magazine joining us so there you go kevin woodley's weekly chat with ryan pinder as um yes goal is always tough to figure out so when someone can do so that is quite helpful he joined pinder on the atlas pizza and sports bar guest hotline now open for limited dine-in service with all safety precautions in place atlas pizza and sports bar the best pizza past the steaks and ribs since 1975 at 6060 memorial drive in the northeast that's going to do it for hockey central at noon thank you to peter labardius ryan pinder and kevin woodley for that and thank you to our producer logan gordon who is in the iconic studio powered by iconic electric and controls community it's iconic contact them today at iconicec.ca. Well, that wasn't very good for the Calgary Flames last night. How much should we read into that? We will break it down, and Corey Sarish will help us do so. All of that in the 1 o'clock hour of the big show coming up next.